Testament passage today picks up in Genesis chapter 40. And I want you to see a principle, even to get started, just even to get started. I want you to see how destiny unfolds in difficult circumstances, in difficult situations, all right? I want you to notice how the destiny of Joseph unfolded as a prisoner. That's what his destiny unfolded. Now, now some of you, you make the mistake of thinking that God is limited to always seeing progression and then your destiny unfolds as the next logical step of progression. But destiny does not unfold as the next logical step of progression in a human mind. Destiny unfolds because God is at work. (laughs) The unseen hand of God at work, just like with Naomi. Now we see the same principle here with Joseph. Destiny. Some of you, you look at this this COVID-19 thing and you say, oh, all the promises of God, the the plans that God have put in my heart. (laughs) Excuse me, stop all that. Destiny does not unfold as the next logical progression. In fact, if anything, Joseph was going down. First he's sold into slavery. Now he's put in prison. (laughs) Destiny unfolded at the bottom of a digression, not as the next step of a progression. Uh, Oh, get a hold of that. Oh, let me write that down. Destiny unfolds. Oh, I like that not as a progression, but at bottom of a, oops, digression. Oh, that's good. That'll preach. Ah, There'll be a sermon one day about that one. Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the cupbearer and the chief baker. Now, the chief cupbearer, now this is a very trusted position. You've got to understand. He tasted everything before it went into Pharaoh's mouth to make sure there's no poison because that was the favorite way of killing people in those days. And he put them into custody in the house of the captain of the guard, in the prison where Joseph was confined. Now, You can read this as, this would be Potiphar. This is where Potiphar was in charge. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them. Now, why? Because he trusted a good job. Now, by this time, he's probably figured out that his wife was a cougar and she was the one approaching, you know, Joseph, but... You know, Potiphar, he's the captain of the guard. Potiphar appoints Joseph to be with him. So his previous lifestyle was part of his choice, okay? So your past affects choices of others for your destiny. This is why you should always do your best. You know, 
some people think, well, this is just such a small thing. And, you know, I don't need to do my best. No. Always do your best because you don't know who's watching, who God will use to unlock the door for your destiny. Right? Let me say that again. You don't know who's watching. So who will unlock? Who will unlock the door for your destiny? And you don't even know when this door is unlocked, okay? But this was the door to his destiny being unlocked. And they continued for some time in custody. And one night they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each with his own dream, and each dream with his own interpretation. When Joseph came in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, why are your faces downcast today? And they said to him, we have had dreams and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to him, do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. Ah, belong. So interpretations belong to God. Now, this is why you have to be very careful with dreams, folks. Going on asking people what a dream means. The interpretation of a dream belongs to God. So you go pick up a psychology books on the meaning of dreams. You, you don't want to do that. The interpretation of dreams belongs to God. So the, cup, the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph, and he said to him, In my dream there was a vine before me, and on the vine there were three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, so I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. All right, so this is what you would call fresh wine. This did not even have time to ferment. You and I would call this juice today, all right? This is probably how Jesus made the cup just before the, um, at the Passover meal, just before his death. And Joseph said to him, this is his interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were cupbearer. Only remember me when it is well with you, and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh, so to get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that should put me into the pit. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. There were three cake baskets on my head, and in the uppermost basket there were all sorts of baked goods for Pharaoh, and the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered and said, This is the interpretation. Three baskets are three days. In three days Pharaoh will lift up your head from you, and you will hang on a tree, and the birds will eat the flesh from you. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants, and he lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer, and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker, as Joseph had interpreted to them. But the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. All right? So learn a principle. People forget you. Ah, but remember, God does not. Now, I want you to see something. Sometimes people forget you until God's timing. To remember him now would not have worked. But to remember him later at just the right moment, 
that unlocks destiny. Chapter 41, verse 1. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. So two whole years has passed now. So Joseph has stayed in prison two more years in jail. Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile, and behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, and they fed in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them, and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly thin cows ate up the seven attractive plump cows, and Pharaoh awoke. <laughs> and he fell asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump, full ears. Now notice, swallowed up, ate up. I want you to notice, hard times totally consume good times. Hard times consume all produced in the good times. Now, people forget this, but remember the story of Isaac. He inherited all of his father's great wealth, but later the scripture said he became wealthy. So in that famine that he lived in for a few years, all of Abraham's wealth dissipated. And now he had to learn to prosper on his own. Ah, and there's a principle to learn from that. And the principle is simply this. If you cannot grow something, you cannot maintain something. You know, there are people that always want to take over inheritances. You know, sometimes I look at young pastors and they want to take over this other church. And I said, you'll never be able to maintain that church. They said, oh, yes, I can, Pastor. I said, no. If you can't grow something, you can't maintain it. Ah, there needs to be a flow of life. So in the morning, his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called out for the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today. When Pharaoh was angry with the servants who put me and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, we dreamed on the same night, he and I, each having a dream with his own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. So he still considered Potiphar's servant. Potiphar had bought him, remember? When we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted it to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office, and Pharaoh and Baker was hanged. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. Now notice, uh, the Egyptians were very funny about no hair on the body. This had to be a total, total body shave. The Egyptians were very strange about that. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream, and there's no one who can interpret it. I've heard it said of you that you, when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. He said, it is not me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Now notice. Always pointed to God. This, this is a good man. I mean, Joseph is a good man. He said, listen, this isn't about me. 
Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, in my dream, I was standing by the banks of the Nile. Seven cows, plump and attractive, came out of the Nile and fed in the reed grass. Seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and thin, such as I have never seen in all the land of Egypt. And the thin, ugly cows ate up the first seven plump cows. And when they had eaten them, no one would have known that they had eaten them. Okay, so you need to see the, the continuation of this dream. The hard years. Leave no proof of the good years. You know, you couldn't tell that these cows ate the beautiful fat cows. No impact upon them. For they were still as ugly as at the beginning. Then I woke. I also saw in my dream seven ears growing in one stalk, full and good. Seven ears withered thin and blighted by the east wind sprouted after them. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven good ears. And I told it to the musicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh, okay? God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. Wow. So God speaks to a world leader what he's about to do in the world. Say, well, why would God speak to a Pharaoh? You know. I quit trying to challenge God. I mean, who am I to say what God can do and what God cannot do? If God wants to speak to a Pharaoh, God can speak to a Pharaoh. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years, and the seven empty ears blighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. It is as I told Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. So he repeats this. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt. But after them will arise seven years, notice arise, seven years of famine, and the, all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. You know, folks, when hard times come, you don't remember the good days anymore. Hard, and, and you got to learn a principle. Hard times destroy the memory of the good times. The famine will consume the land, and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow it, for it will be very severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that this thing is fixed by God. And notice the doubling. When God repeats things, scriptural principle of interpretation. Repetition means determination, okay? The doubling of Pharaoh's dreams mean that the thing is fixed by God and God will shortly bring it about. All right, so the doubling means this is going to happen quickly and it's going to happen. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Now we have wisdom. Wisdom begins. Now, this is not this is not, I repeat, this is not interpretation of dreams anymore. This is wisdom. This is the wisdom of a manager. And Joseph was an incredible manager, remember? God had skilled him in management. He said, now let's management begin. Let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. 
Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth, 20% of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years. All right, so 20% of everything that comes in, let Pharaoh gather that together and save it so that there will be food. So if you've got seven years of abundance, so 20% savings of seven years of abundance will survive seven years of hardship. Now, there's a great principle that you need to get a hold of. And, and businessmen, here it is. In years of abundance, set aside 20% savings. Because when the economy turns, that 20% savings during the, hard, during the good years will sustain you through the hard years. Great business principle. All right. And, you know, sometimes as, as human beings, we think, well, no, there'll never be a hard year. No, no, folks. The economy always flows in cycles. And to this day, even, the people of Israel, businessmen of Israel, live on a seven-year calendar. Every seven years, they plan for an economic downturn. Now, when I was studying economy, when I was in university, it, economics, when I was in university, they looked at a seven to a 10-year cycle. But the, the Jews to this day live on a seven-year cycle. And this business principle is something all of you should get a hold of. Looking at good years, this is the Joseph principle, all right? This is the Joseph principle, okay? You save in the good times and you spend in the bad times. And if you'll save 20% in the good times, it will sustain you through the hard times. Let them gather all the food for these good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities and let them keep it. That food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine. So 20 years of 20% surplus during the good years. 20% of the abundance will sustain you during seven hard years that are to occur in the land of Egypt so that the land may not perish through the famine. Now, those are some incredible principles, brothers and sisters. All right, let's open up our hearts and spend some more time in worship.
Our New Testament passage today picks up in Matthew chapter 16, beginning with verse 1. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees came to, this is their purpose, to test him. They ask him to show them a sign from heaven. Now notice, the Pharisees are the conservatives, the Sadducees are the liberals. They don't believe in life after death, they don't believe in miracles, they don't believe in angels, etc. Now, these guys came to Jesus, but they did not come to learn. The purpose was to test, not learn. Your purpose in coming to Jesus is very important concerning your response. 
how Jesus responds to you is going to be determined by your purpose. They asked him to show them a sign from heaven. He answered them. Now notice, if they had come to learn, if they had come with an open heart and said, Jesus, are you the Messiah? I mean, if they had just come with an open heart, wanting to learn, this whole thing would have been so different. But they came to test him. There's a difference. He answered them, when it is evening, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. In other words, hey, if you look at the signs of the times, they pointed to me. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. Now, evil we understand. Adulterous, we're looking both idolatry and sexual immorality. We're looking at both concepts here. Seeks for a sign. He said, let, let me tell you about your hearts. He said, so he said, the fact that you came to test me and seek a sign, this shows your hearts. She said, I'm going to talk to you about your heart. You, you, you came here to test me. I'm going to talk to you about your heart. Evil and adulterous hearts. But no sign will be given it except the sign of Jonah. What's that sign? Three days. So he left them and departed. When the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. All right. <laughs> Whoops. No food. Okay. We didn't, we didn't bring anything to eat. He said, watch out and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. All right. So there is doctrinal leaven. Leaven is like yeast. It, it, it gets in and works its way through the whole lump. He said, now listen, you're going to have to watch out because these doctrines that these people teach, the Pharisees and the Sadducees teach, that there's, it, it puts doubts. It, it, it grows things in you. It, it, it affects every part. He said, so, now, you, you know, people look at me and they, they say, sometimes Pastor Summerall is, is anti-intellectual. No, I'm not, but there are some books I just don't read. You know, I would never pick up and read uh, the Gospel of Judas that you can buy in bookstores. I, I would never pick up and read uh, something that said, is Jesus really God and, and laying out the proof that he's not God. I would, I would never read the Quran. I would never read the writings of Buddha or Confucius. I would never read those things because there's leaven in them. Now, you, you've got to get a hold of this. In, in all these things, there's leaven. And it's going, to, it's, going to be, it's going to affect you, all right? So there are things that I have just learned. Well, Pastor Summer, you're not very intelligent. You can't sort things out. Okay, maybe I'm not very intelligent. I don't want the leaven in my heart. I'm going to stick with the Word of God. I know that the Bible is the Word of life. I know that there's faith that comes to me through the Word. I know that Jesus is the word. I know that from Genesis to Revelation, there's Jesus. I don't want things that are going to put leaven on my inside. And if that means I'm not very intelligent, so be it, okay? And they began discussing it among themselves. We brought no bread. Aware of this, Jesus said, Oh, ye of little faith, 
Why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet understand or perceive? Do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered? So he said, don't just forget the miracle. He said, but don't you also remember the abundance? And, you know, sometimes you forget that last part. You have to remember, number one, the miracle, and you have to remember, number two, the abundance. Okay? Don't you remember those two things? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000. And again, how many baskets you gather? Again, so the miracle and the abundance. Remember both. How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Beware the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now, I didn't emphasize it before, so let me emphasize it now. Beware. Now, say that with me. Beware. Watch and beware. All right? Now, when Jesus tells me to watch out for things, I'm going to watch out for them. I'm not going to go mess around with them and play with them and think that there's nothing dangerous there. I'm going to watch out for that. Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware the leaven of bread, not the leaven of bread, but the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He said, all right, you've got to watch out. The leaven is the teaching. When you start reading the teachings that are false, when you start reading false doctrines, you know, when I was in Bible school, they wanted us to read theology books that they, I, I can remember the professor saying to me, we don't agree with anything in this, but you should read it. And I looked at him and said, then why should I read it? He said, well, you need to know what other people are saying. I said, no, I don't. I need to know what the Bible says. Now, I've always been a little weird about that. Now, I am a voracious reader. I always have been. But why do I want to read something that's going to make me doubt and question the Word of God? Well, that's being intellectually blind. No. That's learning to beware. That's learning to beware, okay? Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, and some say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, I want you to notice a few things here. This is good leadership. Good leadership asks questions that cause decisions. You see, a good decision flushes. All the time we hear things every day. And all of those little comments that we hear all day every day all those little commas that you read on Facebook every day, all those little snippets that you hear all day, they affect your perceptions, your attitudes, your thoughts. And from time to time, you need a good flush. I mean, you know, it's not wrong to, to stick stuff in the toilet, but once in a while you got to flush that thing, Diva. Once in a while as things get pumped into our head, Jesus, as a good leader, said, now listen, you're hearing all this stuff about me. Make a decision now. Who do you say that I am? And every good leader has to look at people sometimes and say, all right, you've heard people say a lot of stuff. I'm not going to sit here and defend myself. What's your decision? Who do you say that I am? 
Then people flush, and it's over. But I want you to notice where they are. They're at Caesarea Philippi. They're up there past Tel Dan. Now, they're just beginning the excavation of the city of Caesarea Philippi. But we go there. That's where you see the gates of hell. Okay, and these gates of hell, we, we've started going there every year now. I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock, what rock? This revelation of who Jesus is. Upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, the gates of hell, this is the temple of Pan. Now, the Temple of Pan, that's where we get panic from and pandemonium from. This is this half-man, half-goat creature that used to just create fear in people. And so even in Jesus' day, the only thing in Caesarea that people went to was the Temple of Pan. There is no commerce there. It's not on a beaten path. You have to go out of your way to get there. People would go to the Temple of Pan, and they would throw... Excuse me, this is happening during Jesus' day and, and for several hundred years after Jesus. People would go to the Temple of Pan and they would throw in their live babies. Now, if there was blood, the baby was not accepted and you'd have to give another one next year. If there was no blood, then the baby was, your sacrifice was accepted and you didn't have to sacrifice another child. Grabe talaga, okay? But they would throw their children into this, this pool, and it was literally called the gates of hell. Now, as Jesus is standing there, can you imagine how Jesus felt? Crowds of people walking right by him. And he's the son of God, okay? This is the revelation that Peter has just seen, all right? This, this is the revelation. Crowds of people are moving past him to go and give their children into the gates of hell, to sacrifice their babies. And hundreds are walking right by him. This is, this is the big tourist thing in, in Caesarea in Jesus' day. People went there to sacrifice their babies and worship a God called Pan. And walking right by Jesus. He said, Peter, who do you say that I am? You're the son of God. Jesus said, yep, upon this rock, this revelation of who I am. He said, you know what? The gates of hell, this, this temple of Pan is not going to prevail against the church. He said, guys, you know, right now we're standing here. Nobody's paying any attention to me. Nobody's paying any attention to what we're doing. But you know what? That temple up there, that, that, that thing will not prevail against the church. And if you go with us today to see this place, you'll realize it is dead. And the church of Jesus Christ has gone all over the world. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Okay. I will give you. And he wasn't just speaking to Peter. He was speaking to the whole group. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And he strictly, then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one he was the Christ. Tell no one. Now, I want you to notice his response to being ignored was not to start a rally. Isn't this interesting? His response 
to being ignored. Hold this up a little higher. His response to being ignored was not to try to become the center of attention. Why? Why? Because my Father in heaven has to reveal it to you. No man cometh unto the Father except through the Son, and no man cometh to the Son unless the Father draws him. Remember? So you put, look up later and put the verse there. Remember that. Jesus did not campaign for attention. The Father had to draw people to Jesus. All right. One more passage today. We always close out with just a little wisdom from the book of Proverbs. Here, my son... So he's still teaching his son, and accept my words. Now, young people, you have to learn to accept the words of your parents. Why? That the years of your life may be many. All right, so learning from mom and dad give a long life. I have taught you the way of wisdom. Taught you. I have led you in paths of righteousness. Takes both. Moms and dads, we must teach them the way of wisdom and we must lead them in paths of righteousness. Takes both. We have to teach and lead. Teach and lead. When you walk, your step will not be hampered. And if you run, you will not stumble. Why? Because you have been taught and led. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let it go. Guard her, for she is your life. Learning is life. Do not enter the path of the wicked. Do not walk in the way of evil. Wow. Avoid. Do not enter and do not walk. In other words, don't go where people are sinning and don't participate in the sin with them. Okay, remember walk has the idea of, of life. So don't enter. You will not find me in clubs. You will not find me in casinos. And, you know, I know pastors, they go to casinos all the time and they go to clubs all the time, but they're not my friend. I don't enter those places. I mean, I did all that before I got saved. I know what goes on there. I don't need to go look. Don't enter it and don't live it. Don't enter it and don't walk in it. Now, now I know people don't like it when I talk like this, but you know what? If you don't learn to live a holy life, you've got a lot of pain ahead. The scripture says the way of the wicked is hard. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn. It shines brighter and brighter till the full day. The way of the wicked is hard. Now, now young people, I know people say, oh, Pastor Samuel has so many bowels. I do not have bowels. But what I do have is principles of the word of God. And this principle says, don't enter the path of the wicked. Don't go where they're doing something. You know, if they're... Please, I, I can remember as a young man in high school, hanging out with the guys smoking marijuana. 
out in the smoking section because we used to smoke in high school and you know there was a smoking section outside right at the edge of the football field and all the guys would go there to smoke and that's where the marijuana was smoked also so before long what was happening i was taking some hits now i didn't do it very much yes i i didn't it when when you've grown up poor you don't want to stay poor all right but hanging out that's where things began you go hang out in the club well i'm just drinking coca-cola pastor but you're hanging out in the path of the wicked. And before long, you're going to be walking in the path of the wicked. You're going to be doing it. So just stay out of it. He said, avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on. Stay away. For they cannot sleep until they have done wrong. And they are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. <laughs> cannot sleep. Robbed of sleep. How many people have I known that can't sleep until they get drunk? I mean, I've had relatives that drank themselves asleep every night. I mean, they, they drank until they passed out in their chair every night. They can't sleep until they've done wrong. There are some people that can't sleep until they watch their pornography. There are some people who can't sleep until they've hacked somebody on a computer. They feel that satisfaction of hurting somebody else. And they're robbed of sleep unless they make someone stumble. Wow. Made some, they, in other words, they want you to join them and they want to stumble your life. You know, there are people that are just strongly motivated by getting Christians into sin. And they really are. They, it's like they are intensely motivated to get a Christian to join them in sin. For they eat the bread of wickedness and they drink the wine of violence. Now, what, what does this father say? Son, stay away from it, okay? What God would tell all of us as his sons and daughters, stay away from it. There's nothing that you're missing over there. I promise you, you aren't missing anything by not being in the middle of that. The way of the wicked is hard. They make it look exciting, but the way of the wicked is hard. But the path of the righteous, ah, it gets brighter and brighter. All right, we'll see you tonight, 7 o'clock, continuing the Book of Romans.